Hey y'all, it's your host Brandon here with a little heads up. Do the Work is a show that deals with heavy and at times traumatic moments around race and racism. So if you don't have the emotional space to hear these discussions right now, that's okay. You can always come back to this episode whenever you are ready. We hope that you take care of you. Oh, and one more thing. Sometimes we use adult language in this podcast, so if you got kids nearby, you might want to grab your headphones. All right, now let's get started. You're listening to Do the Work, a show that untangles the uncomfortable, offensive, and sometimes downright racist moments that happen in our personal relationships. I'm your host, Brandon Kyle Goodman. Now, have you ever experienced an interaction with someone that made you feel, let's just say, uneasy? Maybe it's the married colleague who said, you look nice, and you couldn't tell if they were hitting on you or just paying you a compliment. Or what about if you show someone your driver's license and they say, you look great for your age. Excuse me? (laughs) You know how these moments, which maybe don't seem like a big deal at the time, can linger in your mind. You find yourself second-guessing the other person's motives, wondering if you just misread the situation, not knowing if the uncomfortable or upsetting feeling you have is even valid. Well, when these incidents occur around race, people of color like myself are often left with a lot of conflicting questions, like, did that really just happen? Maybe, maybe I'm being too sensitive? Or why did that interaction, it just felt so, so off? And far too often the question is, did they treat me that way because I'm not white? And when these moments involve someone we care about, these questions can be even harder to resolve. Well, those, those are the moments we talk about on this show. Each episode, I'll introduce you to two people. They might be friends, romantic partners, family members, or even coworkers. You'll hear their story, how they met, what they have in common, what they love about each other. You'll also hear about an uncomfortable moment that happened in their relationship that they want to work through. And they're going to talk about it together on our show, sometimes for the first time. On today's show, Lori and Jason had an incident that left Lori feeling really, really torn. It's a situation that a lot of people of color are dealing with, especially right now. All this has been for me is emotional. It's not an intellectual exercise. This is my life. That's next, after the break. First up, Lori and Jason. Let's dive into their story. Lori is in her 50s and lives with her husband and two kids in Los Angeles, where she was born and raised. I'm the product of two educators. My father was a college administrator and my mother was a school teacher. So education was very important. And I ended up going to Harvard University and then moved back home to get involved in the entertainment business. Now, she's worked on TV shows like Get Ready, The Bold Type, And some big films like Hidden Figures, How Stella Got Her Groove Back, and my personal favorite, Waiting to Exhale. Very much have been into storytelling, but also 
into hidden stories, uh, stories of people that you normally didn't hear about, and particularly African-Americans. Her passion for telling stories led Lori to start a website called Good Black News, which highlights positive stories of Black folks from around the world. When she launched the site, she had thousands of visitors a month. But now... In the past um, three or four months, uh, the traffic has... Um, I, I want to say doubled. It's a little less than doubled, but because a lot of, frankly, white people are coming to the site now and wanting to educate themselves. And that brings us to Jason. He also lives in L.A. with his wife and two daughters. He's originally from the East Coast. What? Well, uh, I'm from New York. But his family moved to Southern California when he was a kid. Grew up in a pretty liberal part of Los Angeles uh, on the west side uh, so that... Uh, informed my viewpoints on things. Jason went on to the Air Force Academy after high school and served in the military. After serving in the Air Force for 23 years, he now works as a commercial airlines pilot. Jason has a real thirst for knowledge. He loves trivia, and he'll spend hours doing research for fun. I'll get on Wikipedia to just look up something, and I start out looking for, you know, Japanese cuisine, and like an hour later, I'm reading about Chuck D. From hibachi to public enemy. Okay, that is one crazy rabbit hole. Anyway, given Jason's curiosity about the world around him, it's no surprise that in high school, he surrounded himself with other smart kids. And that's how he met Lori. Lori and Jason weren't close friends in school, but they were in the same classes for high-achieving students. And they did share the same groups of friends. After graduating from high school, they went their separate ways. In college, their paths would cross every now and then, when visiting mutual friends or home on school breaks. And as they moved into adulthood, they developed that familiar kind of friendship a lot of us have with the people we grew up with, one that revolves around sharing photos and and liking status updates. With the wonders of social media and uh, specifically Facebook, I became quote-unquote, friends with her once again, Facebook friends, and I've gotten to know her all over again through that avenue. As adults, with kids and jobs and everything else that comes with adult life, their friendship mainly stayed online. But then one day, Jason asked Lori for help. Okay, so it's July of 2016, and things in the country were really, really tense. I don't have to tell y'all. There was, of course, the impending presidential election. But earlier that month, two black men, Alton Sterling and Philando Castile, were shot dead by police in two separate instances. People all over the country were protesting and calling for justice. And we were having more thoughtful conversations around race. Sounds kind of familiar, right? Well, these conversations got on Jason's radar. But there was something he just was not getting in the news and online. He kept hearing about this thing. Can you guess what it is? White privilege. And he couldn't really wrap his head around it. I'm white, and I've got this white privilege. And wait, I didn't do anything to deserve this moniker. You know, I, I've always been nice to everyone. I've always been uh, understanding of everyone and, and listened to them. And I've never been racist. I've never been, I've never held anybody back. Jason couldn't understand how he could have this thing 
called white privilege. So he did what a lot of people do in these days. He turned to Facebook to crowdsource a second opinion. I even said in my post, you know, I apologize if I come off as offensive or insensitive, but I really want to know about this, you know, and I kind of, you know, expressed that in the post, like I was taking offense to this term. But at the same time, I was saying, can someone please share some experiences and help me with this? In the short Facebook post that he threw up online, Jason wrote how he was, quote, blissfully ignorant of this white privilege that he was supposedly guilty of having. He explained how he'd always treated others with respect, so he didn't understand how he could be, quote, somehow complicit in the misfortune of others. But he didn't stop there. After he was done writing that post, he tags several of his Facebook friends who are either black, mixed race, or other people of color. I could not imagine being tagged in that post. He asks them to share their personal experiences of systemic racism with him so he can understand his white privilege. He wanted them to explain whiteness to him. Oof. And Lori is one of the people he tagged. Lori was going about her business that day preparing for an important meeting. After the success of Hidden Figures, she was gearing up to pitch a whole new movie that would star Taraji B. Henson and Octavia Spencer. She was focused on her deadline. One of those notifications came up saying, you've been tagged in the post. So I check it and I read what it is and I immediately get that... God, really? I thought it was going to be like some old picture from back in the day that was like a Kodak moment that I was going to be like, please untag me or whatever. Now, I don't have to tell you. Y'all already can feel it. You already know what's coming. It was not a Kodak moment. So I, I, I got that like hot feeling in my chest of like, this is, this is too much. This truly is too much. But I don't have time to engage in this right now. But then... Lori got an email from the executive she was supposed to pitch her idea to. They had car trouble, and the meeting would have to be rescheduled. So then I was just like, well, now I have time to think about this. Lori did think about it. She sat at her computer and began to type up a response to Jason's post. The floodgates opened. If Jason wanted personal examples of systemic racism, honey, she had them. She wrote out, 10, you heard me, 10 examples of times she had experienced racism from as young as three years old. These 10 examples represented just a fraction of the systemic racism Lori has experienced in her life. Incidents that a white person, like Jason, would never have. As Lori crafted her response, more and more people were weighing in on Jason's post. Some of the responses were kind of like, dude, I grew up in the same neighborhood you grew up, and I find it hard to believe you didn't see this and that going on, because I certainly did. For many of Jason's friends, the post had understandably touched a nerve. How could he have been so blind to everything that was happening around him? It was Los Angeles in the 70s and 80s. There was school desegregation, the war on drugs, and increasing reports of police brutality that would lead to the Rodney King riots. It's something Lori had noticed growing up. 
One example she shared with Jason, you're not going to believe this. So I go to the doctor and I say, hey, I've got to get um, all, make sure all of my shots are up to date because I'm going away to college. And the doctor says, which college? I say Harvard. And she says, you mean the one in Massachusetts? And I pause and I say, yeah, uh-huh. White people she encountered couldn't believe she could get into the Harvard University. And this kept happening. Not once, not twice. Literally three times within the course of a week, three people had said the same phrase to me as it, and I couldn't think of any reason other than the fact that I'm a black woman, why they would question. Because whatever Harvard have you heard of, honestly? Now, if you're a person of color like me, Lori's story probably feels all too familiar. From the emotions of exhaustion and annoyance, or maybe even anger and rage that we feel when we find ourselves having to, once again, educate white folks about race. Or maybe it's how absurd it seems that many white folks have such a hard time understanding what white privilege means. And if you're a white person listening, you might be thinking, my upbringing didn't feel privileged. Lots of folks had it better than I did growing up. Or maybe you've always wanted to understand what white privilege really means. But like Jason, you just aren't sure where to start. We are here to help. We believe that it is possible to have these honest conversations about race with each other. We believe everyone has bias, even I do. And the only way forward, I personally believe, is to talk about it. Because these tough conversations are worth having. And it's one Lori and Jason are going to have today for the first time since all of this went down on Facebook. We have not directly spoken like actual words to each other um, in that whole time. But first, we're going to zoom out and talk to our in-house educator, Debbie Irving, who wrote the book, Waking Up White and Finding Myself in the Story of Race. You don't have to know that you're participating in this horrific, violent system, racial caste system, to participate in it. Stay with us. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back. So before we bring Lori and Jason together for their very first conversation about that cringy Facebook post, I want to tell you a little bit about myself and why I wanted to host this show. So I'm non-binary. My pronouns are he or they. My family is from Trinidad, and I'm a proud first-generation American. My husband's name is Matthew, and he's a white dude. <laughs> and my dog, Corey, is a pit mix. And I'm a Taurus Sagittarius rising, in case y'all want to get me a birthday gift. Now that you know a bit more about me, I want to introduce you to our in-house educator, Debbie Irving. 
She wrote the book Waking Up White and Finding Myself in the Story of Race. Debbie was born and raised in New England. And you know what? Actually, let me just let her tell it. Well, I'm white. I guess listeners can't see that. So that's important to establish. And uh, It is. Uh, so uh, I'm 60 years old. That's one important thing to think about. The other thing yes. is it means I was raised in the 1960s, um, which was a really socially turbulent time. Each episode, Debbie will join me to help put the issues we discuss with folks like Lori and Jason in a larger context. Because let's be honest, these uncomfortable moments around race do not happen in a vacuum. And now I know some of you might be thinking, why do we have a white woman as our educator on the show? Well, here's why. Fundamentally, it is not up to people of color to teach white folks how to not be racist. White folks, y'all need to do that work in your own lives and educate each other and not rely on us to do it for you. Since Debbie has done and continues to do the work in her own life and works to teach other white folks how to do it in theirs, we thought she could help demonstrate how to be an ally and more importantly, how to be anti-racist. My adult life has been dedicated to trying to understand how I was made so ignorant, how I became so naive naive and unlearning what I learned to relearn a more truthful history of the country and a more realistic sense of myself. And you wrote a whole book about white privilege. So I wrote the book I wished that someone had put in my hands. And the book that would have woken me up earlier would have been like an eat, pray, love, but about racism. <laughs> yes. And um, and it took me many tries. I, I, I had to keep getting more and more vulnerable. Uh, mm. That was a process to pull back the layers of bravado, you know, which are definitely uh, part of the white conditioning. Well, how did you get more vulnerable? Well, I think it's a practice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like if you want to change your uh, the way you eat for better health, that's a practice. If, if you want to be more fit, that's a practice. Right. Um, if you want to drink less, that's a practice. Yeah. Um, if you want to learn how your whiteness is damaging you and the people around you, that's a that's practice. That's a practice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hashtag that's a practice. That's a practice. <laughs> Hashtag do the work. Hashtag that's a practice. Yes. Well, you bring up with those examples because I, I often say it and I, I'm always like, you know, people are very committed to, you know, veganism or a lifestyle. And I think that this is the same thing. You wake mm -hmm. up and you commit. And sometimes, and I'm going to use veganism because I feel like people understand that. If you make a decision not to eat meat, that's something that you wake up every day and you have to recommit to. And you might slip and you get to say, wow, I slipped and I'm going to learn from that. And I'm going to learn that I need to do this to set myself up. And you do better the next day. And I feel like that's the same thing here when you're learning about your whiteness and your privilege. You're not going to be perfect right away. And there's such a desire, I think, in our society and such a value on perfection and being right and knowing everything. And that stands in the way from people really saying, no, this is a process and I will mess up. I will screw up. And then I get to take ownership of that, apologize, make it better and learn from that, as opposed to not even trying at all because I'm afraid of messing it up. 
I guess I want to ask, you know, um, in terms of white privilege, because that's what we're dealing with uh, today, what are some of the hardest things for you to grasp when it uh, when it came to understanding your own white privilege? Um, I think I understood class privilege, but white privilege, racial privilege was harder for me. I think I really don't know anyone on the planet who had a harder time understanding systemic racism than me. <laughs> uh, you know, people tried and tried and tried to explain it to me. And, you know, I really couldn't get it until the moment was when I learned that my dad, who had been in World War II, I knew he had taken advantage of the GI Bill after World War II. He was in the Navy. He went to Harvard mm -hmm. Law School for free on the bill. My parents bought their first home in Winchester for $17,000 in the 1940s on that bill. When I learned that the uh, black, indigenous, uh, Asian, Latinx mm -hmm. GIs who also equally sacrificed in World War II were mostly unable to access any of the parts of the GI Bill, um, mm. it just, like, cut me at the knees. Yeah. It so upended my, my sense of self, my sense of country, my sense of my family— you know, my, my parents didn't need to know that that existed, that there had right. been redlining. All they had to do is say, yeah, we'll take that GI Bill. That sounds like a good idea. Right, right. You don't have to know that you're participating in this horrific, violent system, racial yes. caste system, to yes. participate in it. Yes. Which is why, as a black person, it's, like, frustrating to have to explain white privilege because it's, like, whether you want to believe it exists or not, it does. And you are participating in it. So, you know, switching gears just a little bit, uh, in the conflict between Lori and Jason, tell me, what, what jumped out to you? Well, I see myself in Jason. I could so easily have been Jason. You know, if not for the forces that, that, you know, conspired to wake me up. And I understand why he did it. You know, I think he was, I think he probably, um, he never expected it to land the way it did. I mean, this is the way racial dynamics work. We white people don't have to read the room. We don't have to know how right. our words and actions land. Right. Even on social media. I you am know, always a, reading the room. <laughs> From the yeah. time I walked in, I'm like every, every room, every space, every neighborhood, I'm constantly, constantly, it's unconscious at this point, which is also interesting. And, in, you know, I'm, I'm 33 now and having these conversations and realizing how much of this conditioning was drilled into me at 14, at 13, at 10 even, you know, just the, the, the training and the rearing that my mother and my grandmother were giving me as them raising a young black boy. And now it's second nature. But now at 33, unpacking that, I'm like, wait, my white friends do not think like this. <laughs> they don't have any of this. They're, they don't have any of this. I don't belong here. Or like, let me let me test the waters. Let me see. Am I unsafe? None of that. You know what I think is the most harmful part of this, and I just want to pull that out? It's not so much the post, it's the tagging. To me, it's the tagging of his friends in the post that's really harmful because it's like, I don't want to tell you that. Like, that's not 
that's not what I want to talk about right now. And now you've, in a public space, put my name on this post that I didn't ask to be included in, that I may not want to be included in, that I don't have the space to be included in, um, because it can be emotionally taxing <laughs> to continue to explain to somebody. I like to say it's like saying, the sky is blue, the sky is blue. This whole racial global awakening has felt like that, where black people have been saying the sky is blue, and white people are like, no, it's like pink. It's like red. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, it's blue. And finally, everyone's like, it's blue. <laughs> you're Why right. didn't someone tell me sooner? <laughs> Why didn't you tell me sooner? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Jason said something that stuck out to me, which was when he described white privilege as something he was guilty of, despite being a good person and always kind to everyone. And I'm wondering what your reaction to that is and uh, what you would tell him if he said that to you. Um, We white people have white privilege, whether or not we want it. Um, And so we're not guilty of having it. We just have it. Have it. And uh, one of the ways I describe uh, privilege, I think about privilege, is it's simply the opposite of discrimination. You know, you experience racial discrimination. That's the short end of the stick, but you can't have a short end without a long end. It's a stick. I'm on the long end. I have racial privilege. I I have ability privilege. Um, You know, I don't have gender privilege as a female. Mm -hmm. Um, I have heterosexual privilege. Mm -hmm. And then it's important to talk about the word guilt. You know, guilt is a, um, it's not a very helpful emotion. It's, it, 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 we can get caught. Guilt and shame can pull us down into inaction and these kind of vicious spirals of yeah. um, stagnancy. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, stagnancy. Like, yeah. So, so I encourage people, you know, get in touch with your guilt and and just you know feel it and transform it into some rage and anger at the fact that you were born into a world that divides you from your fellow human beings. Debbie will be back later in the show to share some more tips with us, ways you can take what you hear on the show and apply it to your own life. And as our in-house educator, she'll be joining us each week along with other experts to shed more light on these issues. I hope you'll enjoy our conversations as much as I do. Up next, we finally bring together Lori and Jason for the first time to talk about that Facebook post. It feels like you're questioning my experiences and what I've been through and what I know to be true about the way things are in this country. That's after the break. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. (laughs) If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Welcome back, y'all. 
I'm so glad you stayed with me because this is where it's going to get real. Lori and Jason had not spoken to each other about the Facebook post, you know, the one where Jason asked his friends of color, including Lori, to help him understand white privilege. Well, they hadn't talked about it with each other until now. Okay, so it's a Friday evening and we've connected Lori and Jason, who are both in their homes in LA using a podcast recording app. Like many of us, they've been self-isolating with their families for the last few months. Lori has spent much of the day guiding her son through virtual middle school. Superwoman, props to you, Lori. While Jason has been on call for work in case the airline needed him to fill in for another pilot at the last minute. It's been years since they've spoken face-to-face. But as soon as their faces pop up on the screen, they begin chatting away like old friends do. Good to see your face, Jason. It made me smile to see you. Same. They seem excited to talk about that moment on Facebook from a few years back and everything that's happened since then. And honey, a lot has happened. So just to recap, Jason had posted on Facebook asking for his friends of color to share examples of times they've experienced racism so he could understand how he could have this thing called white privilege. And Lori had responded to his post with 10 examples of things she had to endure. But it didn't stop there. Lori's response on Facebook went viral on social media. Thousands of people reached out to her to thank her and share similar experiences. You see, if what Jason did was public, Lori's response got even more public. And Lori has a few ideas why her response struck a nerve with so many people. That question about what white privilege is? Well... It's a question that a lot of people want to ask their friends of color and maybe don't feel comfortable doing it. And something else happened after Lori posted her response. A lot of white folks started sending their questions about racism to Lori. Ooh, honey, I can relate. You should see my DMs. But through it all, there's one thing everybody wanted to know. What did he say to me after I'd taken all this time to write this piece? So... What did he say? Well, Jason never wrote a lengthy response to Lori's post. Just a brief thank you. So what I wanted to know was, what was Jason's reaction to Lori's post? I mean, she had detailed 10, count them, 10 examples of her experiences with systemic racism so that he could understand white privilege. I mean, he had to have some thoughts about it, right? That's a lot of pressure. (laughs) Yeah, it was so detailed. And I know it's it's painful. So I didn't really see a a reason to to delve further because it satisfied my question and began a dialogue. And that for me was a good thing. I'm I'm grateful that she took the time and the effort to to answer it that way so I could be educated, so to speak. And for Lori. What did she want Jason to know about how it felt to be tagged in his post? I don't, I, I want to try and explain this the right way because it's, it's an emotional feeling. It's almost like, you know, when people say, um, I can't describe pornography to you, but I know it when I, when I see it, that when you're asked a question about 
race and you're a black person, there's a way in which the words hit you that can stir you up. I wondered if Jason had thought about the way he had posted his question to his friends of color on Facebook, and if there was anything he'd change about it, knowing what he knows now. Maybe it was a little lazy of me. When I went back and reread my initial question and looked at it, I could see how maybe a part of it would sound glib. I think I said, why someone like myself who I'm not racist, you know, why, why am I guilty of this? You know, that kind of thing. Jason, yeah, the way you chose your words, even even with that tone, when you say, you know, apparently I'm guilty of this or apparently I'm guilty of this, it still is saying that like, hey, you are accusing me of something. This is not something that I th- I think I do or whatever. It, it really did. The, the, the level of defensiveness is the thing that is just like, oh, my gosh, how are you making this about you? Now, this is a podcast, so y'all can't see Jason's reaction, but he's nodding along while Lori's talking, really listening to her and taking in what she's saying. And rightfully so, she has a lot to say. Lori goes on to reveal to Jason why his posts had been so unsettling, so triggering for her and many of the other folks who saw it or had been tagged. It feels like you're questioning my experiences and what I've been through and what I know to be true about the way things are in this country. So Lori is pointing out something important here. It's why a lot of people of color hesitate to even bring up these conversations in the first place. A question that often runs through my head when these incidents come up is, am I actually going to be heard? And that's because it's common for white folks to center themselves in these conversations and then get defensive when talking about systemic racism. Jason, to his credit, has changed. When he looks back at his Facebook post, he now sees how even framing his question around the idea that he was, quote, guilty of white privilege wasn't the right way to look at it. And I think it's also an important point that that just goes to show my level, my my lack of understanding of white privilege to put it in terms of I'm being accused of this and I'm guilty of it. Once I understood white privilege, then I knew it's not something you're guilty of, it's something you possess. Correct. But once Lori explained it to me, then I understood, oh, well, Now I would ask that question differently. And that's not the only thing Lori's response has helped Jason to understand. The incidents of racism that Lori shared were eye-opening for Jason. Until then, he hadn't understood that people of color, especially Black folks in this country, still experience racism regardless of how they grew up, where they went to school, or how much money they have. I consider Lori to be very successful in, in... in society. So for someone like for someone like her to have those myriad examples, then that would say to, that that just said to me, well, then someone who isn't college educated, who's out there just struggling, what would what must their experience be? My response to that is doesn't matter if it's LeBron James, it doesn't matter if it's a homeless man on the corner, they have experienced racism because it's endemic to this country in some form of the, or the other if you've lived enough life. 
Y'all, I just wanted to take a moment to point out that Lori did Jason a big favor when she publicly responded to his post and shared her deeply personal stories, like talking about how people questioned whether she was really attending Harvard and nine other examples of how she was treated differently because of her race. It was like a PSA for people who are confused about white privilege. But there's one thing I want to emphasize here. It was Lori's choice. I understand that education is what changes people's minds and what helps them transform. So even if I have to do the labor to offer them a tool to understand something, I'm more inclined to do it than not. Google it is an complete acceptable response. In fact, even FU is an acceptable response to somebody asking you to, to educate them, to pick your brain, to you know explain something to them. Any response that is authentic to you is the right response because you, you don't owe anybody anything. Preach it, honey, okay? And listeners, this is my PSA to you. Please, Please don't go around asking people of color to just share their traumas with you so you can be educated. Uh Uh-uh, that ain't cute, okay? Anyway, before their conversation ended, Jason had another question for Lori. Now that he understands systemic racism and his relationship to it as a white person, what should he do? Does that mean I have to get out and protest? Does that mean I have to go out and look for racism and then when I find it, attack it? it, it it's, it's almost like an impossible task for a middle-class white person to be anti-racist with the exception of if you hear something, say something. Let me tell you how I can help you. You work within the realm of where you are and you just say, hey, I want to see more of this. I want to make sure the education in this area is going this way. And and to me, that's that's the work in voting, you know, making sure the policies that you support are supporting the dismantling of, of systemic racism. Mm-hmm, that's right, Lori. Start by working within the realm of where you are. Now, before I let y'all go, I want to bring back Debbie Irving, our in-house educator. Since Debbie has spent years doing the work in her own life to be a better ally, I wanted to ask her what takeaways from this whole situation between Lori and Jason we can apply to our lives. And here's what she had to offer. Step one, make amends. I think one of the things that's notable about... um Jason's situation is that he, uh, as we like to say, stepped in it um, publicly. And I always think when we make a misstep, we have to acknowledge it and we have to apologize and then we have to figure out how to repair the harm we did. Okay, so acknowledge when you mess up, but not in a confrontational way. Remember, we are all human and it's human nature to mess up to not always be perfect. And that's okay. Step two, get educated. About how racism operates outside of us, inside of us. Uh, What is the history? I know this sounds daunting, and yet it's just to start learning. And step three, challenge the things you think you already know. For me as a white person, the myths I was exposed to made sense. And those myths were that the playing field is level. That's the entire point of the United States. 
We say that all you have to do is work hard. We even have little bootstraps to help you. And so for me, and for many white people, that feels really real. Okay, so acknowledge when you've messed up, educate yourself, and challenge your own beliefs and assumptions. Great advice for all of us who want to do the work in our own lives. Do the Work is a three Uncanny Four production. The show is hosted by me, Brandon Kyle Goodman. Our in-house educator is Debbie Irving. Our senior editor is Amy Eason. TJ Raphael is our senior producer. Our associate producers are Rahima Nasa and Sharina Ung. Catherine Shoemaker is our development producer, and Jenny Kim is our production manager. We had additional production help from Lena Richards and Shane McKeon. Our executive producer is Laura Mayer. Special thanks to Adam Davidson and Nuna Sharafadi. This episode was mixed by Joanna Ketcher and Steve Bone at Nice Manners. Ava Amabehi is our fact checker. And Alishaba Itu created the theme. If you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. And hey, why not leave a rating and a comment while you're there? It helps new listeners find the show. Or better yet, tell someone about us. If you have a question or a comment or want to have your own story featured on the show, email us at do the work at 3uncanny4.com with the number spelled out. So that's do the work at 3uncanny4.com. Now, I do hope y'all are taking care of yourselves as we deal with these heavy subjects. One self-care tip for me is to write down three things you're grateful for every day. Oh, and one more thing. We're putting some handy resources on our website in case y'all want to do some reading up on the topics we talk about in this show. You can find that at dotheworkpod.com. For 3 Uncanny 4, I'm Brandon Kyle Goodman. Until next time, you can find me on the gram at Brandon K. Good. Thanks for listening.